This is John for Chainsaw Buffet. This episode was recorded live at MTAC Odyssey. We'll be giving away an MTAC t-shirt signed by the guest we interviewed to one listener. Visit ChainsawBuffet.com forward slash MTAC for details on how to enter. Welcome, listeners. Uh, we are coming to you from Impact Odyssey, and uh, we've got some very special guests this weekend, uh, including the guy sitting right across from me, uh, Mr. Neil Kaplan. Hey, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, welcome back to Impact, by the way. First time since uh, Impact Prime. Yeah, 2007. You bet. Um, so what have you been up to since then? Uh, <laughs> uh, auditioning, working. Um... Doing a little bit of traveling, as people who are following me on uh, Facebook would know. I'm, I'm engaged now. Um, mostly over the last couple of years, um, not mostly, but I, I have been working on uh, one project, which is on its two projects, which are basically on their way to fruition. Um, the first being uh, working on the uh, video game StarCraft for Blizzard, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't know how that crosses over necessarily into the anime uh into the anime fans, but I can tell you there are millions and millions of fans around the world who are waiting eagerly for this game. We've we've got oh, yeah. a lot of uh, Blizzard fans that will be happy to, to nice. hear that you're in that. Very cool. Um, and the other thing that I've been busy with is uh, putting together a nonprofit, which you may hear about this weekend, because we achieved our uh, Fedler, Fedler, that's nice, yeah. <laughs> uh, federal uh, 501c3 status in March. So we are actually a, a nonprofit, and anyone... From this point forward, basically, who donates at my table or gets an autograph, uh, p- pays for an autograph, I should say, um, or has me do a phone call, that money is completely da- tax deductible. So, obviously, anyone who, who needs uh, some tax deductions for next April, uh, as well as some birthday presents, here's a way to kill two birds with one stone. My nonprofit, I should tell you, is set up to provide audio entertainment for the troops. So it's not only to build a, an audio library um, for active duty, retired, injured, recuperating uh, military men and women. Um, it's called uh, Audio Theater for Our Troops. And so it's not just uh, it's not just the U.S., but hopefully we'll be not hopefully we will be expanding that to our allies as well. So for fans of yours that are out there in Canada or Great Britain or Australia, we'll be making these available as well. And it's not just about the people on the listening end, it's also about the people on the providing end. Because I've found that the Hollywood and Broadway communities would really like to say thank you. They really would like to do something. But some people just don't have the time to take a week or two to go on a USO tour. And even if they do, let's say they go to Korea. Well, what good does that do the men and women who are serving under the water in a submarine? Right. Or who are serving on, a, on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean. Doesn't do them a whole heck of a lot of good. But if they spend an hour or two with us in a recording studio, that's there for good. You know, and, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's long-lasting. It, it, it reaches to all, all the way around the world. And, of course, it's the opportunity. Um, one of the things that stylistically we do – sorry to keep rambling. Oh, no. Um, one of the things that stylistically we do on this project – is all the actors introduce themselves at, at the beginning. So sort of like the credits rolling. 
So if I were in something, I would basically say, Hi, my name's Neil Kaplan. You might best know me as the voice of Optimus Prime on Transformers Robots in Disguise. Today I'll be playing Frankenstein's monster. And so then they know who's involved in that story of Frankenstein. At the end of it, we then kind of take an audio curtain call, and this is our way to talk directly to those brave men and women. Um, it's a chance to say, once again, my name's Neil Kaplan. I played the Frankenstein's monster today, and I just wanted to say to you all, please, keep your eyes open, your heads down, and come home to us safe and sound. And that not only means a lot when the people hear it on their end, but it means a lot when we get to say it, because we're actually talking to them. You know, when the, when the earbuds are in the ears, there's no closer way to communicate to somebody, quite frankly. Right. Nobody's going to join the military just to hear um, fancy radio shows by Neil Kaplan and his colleagues. But if for five or ten seconds, while they're on their bunk, or they are got some time off, they close their eyes... There's an amazing transportational aspect in just audio. Because when you're watching a movie in, in a tent, well, quite frankly, your peripheral vision still sees <laughs> that it's a tent. And you still see that you're in the middle of the desert, or you still see that you're 8,000 miles away from home or wherever. But when you get to close your eyes and really kind of be in that environment, there's... there's uh, there's a really um, kind of immersive factor that goes on there, and that's certainly what we seek to do. So that's basically what's been keeping me busy for three years. And what's the name of that organization? It's called Audio Theater for Our Troops. Okay. Um, we're still working on building our website, so the best way to get in touch with us is through my Facebook page. Our website should be up within the next couple of weeks. Um I didn't really want to build it before we had our federal process approved, if you understand. Right. Um, it's kind of weird for me transitioning from this creative, creative flaky actor guy to now this creative flaky CEO guy. <laughs> you know, but I've got a really good team of people on my board surrounding me, including a, uh, a colonel in the uh, Marine Corps Reserves. Um, and I know, quite frankly, they, they're right there with me every step of the way. They believe in the in, in the project, and uh, it's nice to uh, be surrounded by some responsible adults, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> well, uh, let me go ahead and be the first because I'm a firm believer in putting putting my money where my mouth is, and let me go ahead and make the oh. contribution. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And so that, please that stop is... by the table so we can give you the receipt. Okay. Okay. Because I mean it. It's 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 not just going to a good cause, but now it's actually tax deductible. <laughs> Yay! We hope to go into production on our first titles um, this summer. At first, it'll be kind of slow go because um, finding the material and putting it together uh, before we get the operating costs is basically me reading all the scripts, me vetting the scripts, me directing the script, finding the talent, and directing the talent. Eventually, when we have our operational costs up and running, we'd like to get five titles out a week. Because if we want to build a library, we, we've got to have a volume there. Right. Um, so eventually, we'd like to ramp up to 250 titles a, a, a year. Um, but uh, obviously, I thank you very much. And uh, it's going to a good cause. Good. Is that going to be, uh, you're going to be doing mostly like classic works or original you know, material? It's, it's going to vary because essentially what I'm looking to do is create a library. Much like a library that you'd find in your in your hometown, we've got to have a variety. You know, there are men and women who graduate from, 
you know, the Air Force Academy or West Point uh, with a lot of education who, quite frankly, may just like the Beverly Hillbillies or or very simple storytelling, and that's fine. You can't predict that. And there may be people who graduate straight out of high school and join the military who like reading Dan Brown and they love Shakespeare. So to try to guess what they're going to want I think is futile and it's wrong as well. I mean, quite frankly, I want to give them as much as as I feel comfortable giving them. There, are, Our main focus right off the bat is probably going to be, in our estimation, the, the things that they really like are adventure and comedy. So we've got an adventure script that we're working on. We're putting together a couple of comedic scripts. All the scripts will be basically between 15 and 40 minutes. You know, So we may have a series that runs on. If we do something like a classic tale, um, like th- Three Musketeers or... Or, or Frankenstein. We're not going to try to do that in 15 minutes. So we'll do different chapters and such. Cool. And they can, they can link those together. Um, we're also working on the uh, technological aspect of really trying to protect that material so that it really doesn't just get out into the world because I also appreciate the scripts that are being donated and the actor's time that's being there, you know. And, and the more we try to keep it exclusive to these, you know, to these brave people, um, the more special it's going to feel on their end, mm-hmm. I hope. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I stumped the band. Yeah, I was, I was about to let you just go on as long as you wanted. Um, so let's just talk about your career for a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, you started out doing impressions, if I'm not mistaken, correct? I, I did. I did. Um, I was the kid in fourth grade who would be doing the Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, for you young folks out there, was a president of ours at one point in time. Um, Before Reagan? There was another uh, president? There, 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 there was somebody actually between Lincoln and Reagan, believe it or not. Um, JFK, but he died, right? Well, there, there, there's still kind of speculation on that or if you watch The Outer Limits. But anyway... <laughs> I digress. I was going to go Bubba Hotel. Uh, uh, that's a good one, too. That's a good one, too, which is now available on Netflix Instant Download. So those of you who haven't seen Bubba Hotel, I think you should. Shame some, on you. Some of Ozzie Davis's finest work as a white man. I mean, <laughs> wait a second. No, that, well, you know, yeah, yeah. anyhow. It's uh, not an incorrect statement. It's not necessarily an incorrect statement. Exactly. And if you're, you know, I'm sorry if you're offended out there. Maybe you just need to watch the movie and you'll come back and apologize for being offended. <laughs> anyway, uh, but enough about that. Uh, so I used to do impressions. And then when I was about, I don't know, um, 15, 14 or 15, I met um, I met Mel Blanc. And he wow. kind of said, hey, kid, quit doing the impressions. Do your original characters. It's like, okay, yes, Mr. Blank. And I pretty much stopped doing impressions at that point in time and kind of let it go. Little did I know that there would be like this huge uh, need for redubbing people's lines for airplane movies and redubbing people's lines for cable. And geez, if only I still did those impressions. Uh, but, you know, hey, Mel's heart was in the right place. Sure. Yeah. So uh, that sort of. Would you say that your impressions kind of gave way to your acting career then? Um, well, pretty well, pretty much. I mean, look, let's face it. Um, <clears throat> the, the the best impressions tend to bring in an aspect of acting as well. I mean, if you're just doing a sound alike, you're just doing a voice match, you're not really encompassing the person's energy. You're not really kind of giving us that that whole person. 
It's like if I sat here and went, hi, Arkham the Frog here. I mean, that's nice. But if I go, hi, Arkham the Frog here. Hey! See, he laughed because I threw my <laughs> hands up in the air and I kind of was a little bit Kermit the Froggy right there. Um, so, so, so there's, there is that. I mean, so really to be able to do that, acting does uh, get included. And of course, um, the best voiceover out there really embodies um, as Gary Chalk said last week in, uh, in at Calgary, um, he said it's the truest form of acting, and to a certain extent, I really believe that. Now, you may or may not know—I don't know if your research tells you—but I actually teach voiceover, and I actually teach it in the Bachelor of Fine Arts program. Uh, our voiceover classes may be the only ones in North America that actually lead somebody to a BFA degree. Hmm. Holy crud! Um, you know, so I, I, I look at it a, a little academically at times and, and also by, by talking to other actors and other voiceover actors and getting their opinions and their feedback. But one of the coolest things that I, that I heard from an on-camera actor was from Trisha Helfer last year at BlizzCon 2009. Um, they introduced the voiceover cast and I didn't know she was on the game until I saw her there and went, oh, I guess you're on the game, huh? Well, people were acting, asking about acting, and one of the things that Trisha said was, look, when I'm doing something on camera, um, I see the walls of the Battlestar, I look behind the camera, I can still see some of the set, there are extras there, there are other actors, I can see the person I'm talking to, if I'm assaulting the ship, I've got a gun in my hands, when I'm doing this game, I don't have a gun in my hands. There aren't any walls, you know, but you've still got to hear that. And so basically what that is, is that's tapping into that, that six year old in all of us, that eight year old in all of us that would, that would go into the bathroom and get a, uh, and get a towel and you'd wrap around your neck and you were Batman, you were Superman, you, you know, you were all these different characters and you didn't need anybody to tell you any of those rules. You know, it's like if you were playing, if you were playing with your Mego action figures, like I did, you would have them have conversations. Now, of course, or of course, maybe you're having tea parties. I don't know. You're talking to Mr. Bear. You're talking to Ken and saying, now behave yourself. And in your mind, you really are having that conversation. And even though the dialogue is done twice, once in your head and once when you say it, you still say it out loud because otherwise it's not really real. Um, so it taps back into that same thing of not worrying, um, am I not the right ethnicity to play this part? Am I too tall? Am I too fat? Am I too short? Am I too thin? I mean, look, you can go on the internet and find some of the blogs of when I walked out on stage to be introduced as Tychus Finley on StarCraft II. Tychus Finley is six foot eight, 380 pounds. So I walk out and people are typing, and I saw this later, there's no way this scrawny dude is Tychus Finley. And then, of course, I did the voice into the mic, you know, and they kind of went, all right, I guess he is. <laughs> um, and I played a character in another upcoming game, which I'm not legally allowed to talk about, but this character is even bigger than, than Tychus. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I when, when it gets announced, I want to have... The fans around the world discuss, okay, who get who kills who? I mean, it's maybe not as evil as Alien versus Predator, but it's certainly one of those kinds of things where you go, I'm betting on this guy, I'm betting on this guy. You know, and you just kind of go with it. Um, but I like that. I mean, it's it's versatility. Um, you know, it's allowing 
wonderful actors like Tim Russ, um, who's Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, the opportunity to play a part that he'd be brilliant at, like Alfred the Butler in Batman. Now, he'd never be able to play that on camera because he's African-American and people would just freak out and go, oh, but Alfred Pennyworth, I've seen him in comics for 70 years. You know, but he can do that in a cartoon. He can do that on a video game. He can be as brilliant as he's capable of being. All right? Um, I can play the young hero regardless of the white hair you see on my head. Um, I can play the big badass type of Finley because it really doesn't matter that I'm not that large. Okay? So it's that whole kind of a... Holy crap. It's, 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 it's that whole kind of a thing. Exactly. Um, you know, so it really... But it, it, it is real acting. You're not doing voices. You're playing characters. And that's the difference between the, the people that you'll meet at MTAC this week, the guests of honor, and the fans who come up to us in line and go, I always wanted to do voices. Let me do a voice for you. <laughs> but, but the thing is, but don't get me wrong, guys. That's where we started, too. That's exactly where we started, and that's where the next generation is going to start from. And it's not for me to say which ones are going to transition from dorky fans to dorky working actors. Okay? They'll still be dorks. I am. Um, but, but, but that's just the thing. And, and to judge that is, is, is wrong. But the first thing those people need to learn is that you're not doing a voice. You're playing a character. Even if it's one word. Okay. One of my favorite one word characters that I ever played was in Digimon the movie. And it was, uh, it was a, it was a, I had long wanted to do a character that was like Ed Wynn. From Mary Poppins. I love to laugh. <laughs> you know, that guy. Um, so Jeff Nimoy at one point in time, while we're recording, says, Neil, give me the line number. Now. 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 And it was one word. And it was a teacher yelling out the word finished. So it was like, all right, I get to play this crazy, obnoxious annoying teacher at the end of a the end of a, doing an exam and just say finished you know <laughs> but i mean that was that was a character it wasn't just a voice it's not just a word you I mean it's the same thing if you're playing a spear carrier on broadway you're still playing a character and you owe it to the people that are spending the money the other actors that are on stage to play that character i've done extra work and i've seen actors who try to draw focus you know, like, hey, look, I'm in this scene, as opposed to, no, act with the same integrity as the people who have the dialogue up front. This is your chance to act in a movie. Don't behave in a way that's not true to the extra that you're playing. You know, if you see me for the seven seconds that the camera's on me in the film Sergeant Bilko, I'm, I'm playing an MP. I'm nailing it. I'm looking MP-esque, you know. Um... Because the scene's not about me. The camera passing in front of my face wasn't about me. It was about, you know, the Bilko presenting the hover tank um, and me just guarding the situation. But you have to have that same kind of integrity. If you're going to act, act. You know. So an hour later, they got to their third question. It's okay because... Uh, <laughs> we can edit it. That's right. No, we don't. This is far more interesting than the questions we had planned. It's true. Um, so, it, uh, I, from what you're 
saying there, I would gather that, would you say that voice acting is a more fulfilling form of acting for you personally than, say, a stage acting? For me, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, applause is great. Don't get me wrong. But I had a friend who was in the Broadway revival of Greece uh, with Rosie O'Donnell years ago. And I saw her on the road, and I went to visit her while she was doing the show on Broadway. And so I got the chance to watch her get ready for the show. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh. The job begins hours and hours before you get to the theater. Because she's going to do hand jive for the 627th time. And she really has to do it like it's the first. She's really got to say the line and sing the notes and laugh at the jokes like it's the first time where she's ripping people off. And if you don't think that takes a lot of professionalism and a lot of stamina, you're wrong. It absolutely does. You know, I grew up doing community theater, so it's like we did a show for two or three weeks. Three weeks, to, you know, or 20 performances max. It's like, bye, see you later. Somebody's leaving, just so you know. <laughs> bye, um, Christy. Well, now you know who it is. Great. You had to lay it off on who it was. I was trying to leave her anonymous, but whatever. Anyhow, um, you know, so you do 20 performances. It's not that hard. It's not that big a deal, but you do it for a year, you do it for 18 months, you do it for two years, and even if you love the role, even if you're Michael Crawford doing Phantom, and you want to do as many performances as possible because you love singing those notes, it's still a job. Um, and again, I don't have, look, I don't have to worry about, you know, is my double chin too thick today? Is, is my hair too gray? Can you see the bags under my eyes too much? I just get to play the character. I just get to feel what the character's feeling and really be in that moment. So for me, it is the most fulfilling form of acting. Um, that's not to say that if somebody called me and said, Neil, we want you to be in this movie, that I wouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been cast in three films that are waiting for the money at this point in time. So hopefully that, that, that will happen. But it's, it's not a pursuit and a passion like, like voiceover acting is for me. What do you think is the key to uh, being so versatile as an actor? Because you play a lot of different types of roles. Thank you. Well, I mean, certainly uh, vocal flexibility doesn't hurt. But that being said, let's look at an actor who doesn't have the most vocal versatility out there. Mm -hmm. uh, an actor you might have heard of, um, his name's James Earl Jones. <laughs> Um, and he played a character called Darth Vader, and he played a character called Mufasa. Ooh. And, well, just like the hyenas, very nicely done. Um, but there's no, you would never mistake a line from Mufasa for a line from Darth Vader. It just, it isn't gonna happen. And that's because that's his acting, that's his intention. So, when you can marry those acting skills, maybe with a little bit of vocal flexibility, Hopefully, that makes you a valuable team member. Like, for instance, uh, on StarCraft, um, I finally got to meet some of the artists, and they were telling me how much they love the character. But i got to tell you, one of the reasons that they love the character is because I'm working my ass off in there. One of the reasons I'm working my ass off is because I look at the artwork that they do, and I go, holy crud, i got to bring it. 
<laughs> Look at what these guys are doing. Look at these vistas that they're putting together digitally. I mean, I can't believe this isn't real. This is absolutely stunning. This is amazing. I've really got to come to the loaded for bear here. i got to have all the ammo locked and loaded and ready to go. And then, of course, one day I walked in for a recording session, and the director was Andrea Romano. Okay, that's like, oh, 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 you guys aren't kidding around. I mean, she's hands down, and there are lots of directors that I really respect and do great work. You know, there are the Margaret Tangs, there are the Sue Blues out there who are just fantastic. Um, you know, Chris Borders. Um, they do really good work, and I love to work with them. But Andrea's been the shit. Since, <laughs> since Batman the Animated Series and even before then, you know, Animaniacs and all that other great stuff over Warner Brothers. And you just know when you're there with her, you're in good hands. You know, you're in, you, you got good ears listening to you. You got a, a good set of eyes watching out for you and giving suggestions, um, that may take you to places that you never thought of. And you have to trust your team, you know. So there may be fans out there of Tychus's. Um, and he may, the, the face may be all over the place because he's kind of a logo at this point in time. Um, but that to me is just like being, um, an all pro on a Super Bowl winning football team. Okay. People may have voted for me to be all pro and I might be recognizable, but I'm not the one that won the Lombardi trophy. You know, and for those of you who don't get sports, I'm really sorry about that, but that's a lot of re my references and where I, you know. Finally, you somebody else that makes sports references on Yay! Finally! Yay! But, but essentially, that's what it is, is I'm on a great team, and I know it's a great team, and just because people recognize me doesn't mean I'm any better or more worthy than they are, because without them, I'm not that old pro. You know, does that make sense? Right. Okay, so so that's what I love. I love working with a team of just amazing people, you know. So that I think that's what brings the versatility, you know. It's um uh, certainly living and driving in LA never hurts when you're playing a villain. <laughs> you know. Um it certainly helps you get mean and nasty and all those wonderful things. Um and of course, being you know playing a hero is just tapping into that part of yourself that wishes uh, you were there to help people, or wishes that you had the wherewithal to help people. You know, so okay, I know what that's like. I know how that feels. Let me play it. So, I don't know. Do you have a, a, a type of role that you gravitate towards, or I mean, do you try to hit something different? Or is there something that is there something that speaks to you? Like when you read a role, you're like, that's it. That's, well, that's I may say, I may say that's it when I'm auditioning, but it doesn't mean I get it. You know, it may be that thing that turns me on about the part or gets me jazzed about the project, but then I don't book it. And that's just life. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend, I guess, I tend to gravitate toward villains. I think that's certainly my strength. Um, and you know, it's, here's the thing. Every character basically sits down at a keyboard and they play the music of their role. And you've got wonderful characters like Superman and like Optimus Prime that, in my estimation, sit down at an 88-key keyboard and play two or three notes. You know, 
I'm a good guy, save the world, save people, they come first before me, blank, 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 blank. And that's fine. The world needs those characters. But then you play a character like Tychus Finley and you're not sure if he's a hero or a villain. Um, is he a leader? Is he a sidekick? Is he, is he, is he a tough guy? Is he a, is he a con man? Or is he a little bit of everything? So he just plays up and down those scales. You know, it's, it's having those, those wonderful villains that, you know, lean in with relish and just say, Oh my dear, blackmail is such an ugly word. And you know, and you just kind of sit there and go, ah! you know, but they get the, they run up and down that keyboard and they just play a lot of stuff. And that's why I love those characters. Um, cause it's just like, you know, you get to take a bite out of the script and just, you know, as opposed to the, to the hero, which just kind of like gently kisses the script, you know, don't get me wrong. Anybody wants to hire me for a hero, I'm yours, you know. <laughs> But if you gave me a choice, if you said, Neil, would you rather play Superman or Batman? I'm gravitating toward Batman. Okay? Um, if you give me the choice between playing Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, I'm going with Han Solo. Okay? Just, I like, I like characters with a, with a few more shades to them. So. Um, Wanted to ask something from sort of, yeah, we, we come from the fan side of things, okay. obviously. You know, we we don't act and we don't have a great sense of perspective as to how it is to be an actor and go from one project and character to the other to the other right. to the next to the next to the next. So as as fans in general, we tend to associate actors with, you know, our favorite roles of theirs, like pre would be Optimus Prime or sure. you know, character. Or or Hawkmon, you know. Exactly. I, I, look, I, I get Hawkmon a lot these days because the kids who grew up on it are now in college or out of college, and they just, uh, then they're past the point where they feel embarrassed admitting that they like Digimon. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's like, I, I loved Hawkmon. Hawkmon was, Hawkmon was a blast. So, yeah. so what is it like for you as an actor who's made a career out of doing all these various roles right. to be associated with a handful of roles from the fans? Is it an honor that they remember you from something? Oh, well, or you, well, or it, is it more it, like a... Come on, I've done other stuff. You know, Digimon, come on. I've, well, I've look, let's, let's, let's look at the gentleman who I met last week and was absolutely tongue-tied when standing, you know, two feet from him, and that was Leonard Nimoy. Um, he wrote a book in his youth called I Am Not Spock. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't want to be known as only Spock. He had other talents. He had other gifts. He did other shows. He wanted people to know that he was an actor. Well, eventually he wrote another book called I Am Spock, where in his middle years or his beginning of his older years, um, he kind of said, you know what? I did the role, and it did inspire a lot of people. And I did come back to it ten years later and and do seven movies. And I don't mind that people think of me as this character because I touched them. And I wouldn't have touched them if I wouldn't have played it Really strongly and with integrity. <laughs> By the way, it's not a skirt; it's a kilt. So shut up. It's only a kilt if you don't wear anything under it, though. You know that's that's what we call TMI. That's what we call TMI. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but so I mean, I certainly like that. But here's the thing: 
I also have a situation where I've walked in somebody else's shoes. Um, and I've had occasions where if I'm not the first one to say it, somebody else does. Um, I may be, uh, a phrase that I use a lot is, I'm best known around the world as the voice of Optimus Prime, which uh, is going to soon be replaced with, I'm probably best known around the world as the voice of Tychus Finley from StarCraft II. And I'm looking forward to that. Because I've been the voice of Tychus since the inception. And look, there, I've said it in panels before, and I'll say it again. There's only one reason that I sounded so much like, Gare, uh, like I'm sorry, Peter Cullen when I played uh, Optimus Prime. And that is because he was so awesome. And he was such an inspiration that 17 years later, 15 years, 17 years later, I still had his voice ringing in the back of my head. So I was able to do that. Um, you know, but quite frankly, I don't need fans of mine or fans of his to come up to me at conventions or write me emails and say, well, you know, it's Peter's part. Yeah, I know that. Trust me. And I was the first one to acknowledge that. Um, you know, so there are the, there are the bad sides or, you know, people kind of forget that there's a human being on the other side of, of that table or on the other side of that question or on the other side of that statement. Um, I know I'm not Peter Cullen. I've never tried to be, um, although I've played his parts on several occasions. And I look forward to the day when when he, he does what Leonard Nimoy did last week and puts his boots up and calls it a day. Because hopefully for Transformers 7, they'll give me a call. <laughs> I'll be ready. But along those same lines, I'm also a versatile actor, and I'd be happy to play anybody. I had a blast last summer on Revenge of the Fallen, uh, playing Long Haul, and I'll kill you, Optimus Prime! I mean, that, that's a blast. That's that's fun. Um, I, look, I'd rather be remembered than forgotten. Plain and simple. Um, but I certainly would rather be remembered for my strengths and my good work as opposed to remembered for my weaknesses and for my lack of being somebody else. You know? So, That's a good way to live. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, we're we're going to get into some more sorted stuff now. Oh, um, great. One thing is uh, our site's co-founder, who couldn't be here, wrote an article in 2007 showcasing 35 different Optimus Prime figures he has. Right. Um. I asked him about this the other day, and he said he's about doubled it since then. Okay. Your thoughts? <laughs> um, look. <laughs> I, I'm giving you a chance to tee up on the guy. Well, so. I, but I won't. <laughs> but, but the funny thing is I won't. Um, because, look, we're all dorks to somebody, and we're all heroes to somebody else. And you need to start accepting that. Um. It's funny how you can do these conventions in some cities. Like somebody here in Tennessee may look at somebody who's cosplaying and point at them and laugh. Meantime, this 320-pound, 55-year-old man is wearing a, a Tennessee Titans jersey. Hello? Oh, you're a football player? Really? Really you are? <laughs> I went to the game last week. I don't remember seeing your old fat ass out there on the field. So everybody cosplays in their own way. Okay? Some people a little bit more. Some people a little bit less. Some people do it. You know, look, 
There's not a single person here this weekend that in my eyes is any dorkier from those freaks that go to Raider games and paint themselves up and dress as Darth Raider, okay? <laughs> For crying out loud, and these are people that do it ten weeks out of the year because they're season ticket holders, okay? People have their passions. And as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else, I mean, I'm hoping that the 70 versions of Optimus Prime that he has hasn't caused his children not to eat or hasn't kept him from dating or anything like that or having a wife. Hopefully he still does and you have both. That's a great thing. Look, I was at spring training this last year and I I got a baseball signed by four Hall of Famers and I'll bet if I brought that down to the convention floor, a bunch of people would say, so? Big deal. You know, I, I look, I have, I, I collect autographs on occasion. I, I, as I tell people when they come to visit me at conventions, when they say, wow, you're really nice. Why are you so nice? Because I've been on that side of this table. And I really do try to live my life by the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd like them to do unto you. And sometimes that means... Wow, dude, you really look stupid. Okay, sometimes I need people to tell me that, you know. Um, but no, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tee off on the guy unless you're telling me that he has every version of Optimus except robots in disguise. No, he, I think he's got that. I think <laughs> I would hope so because at this point, those those three, and as, there are only three as far as I know, primes. There's the mini prime, there's the large prime, and then there was the, uh, and then there was the uh, die cast. Um, one a couple a couple of years later, they're some of the harder ones to find, and they're actually on the market pretty valuable. Unless I've signed them, in which case, then the <laughs> they you know, they, yeah, then they're like you know I have to write people when they sell them on eBay. Sorry that I ruined the value of your toy. <laughs> your buddy Neil Kaplan, <laughs> you know, because it's like the unsigned ones go for like forty dollars. The signed ones, a dollar ninety nine. You know. So, <laughs> You know, eBay helps to keep one in check. I'll just say that. Okay, it's time. It's time for a hypothetical. Okay. Um, this this is your permanent resume that that just stays the same way forever and ever sure. until you do something new. Sure. Um, you can only choose one of the following. Okay. To be on your resume for all time, the Playboy sex court commercials or Digimon. Um. I'd have to say Digimon only because, you know, I did the sex court commercials for like one season and that was it. For something that was long <laughs> running, then maybe I'd feel different. Uh, and, and by the way, those sex court commercials are a lot different when you're listening versus when you're watching them. Because <laughs> I've listened to them and I recorded them and it's like, oh, this is cool. This is all right. And then I saw them oh, 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 I got to vomit. <laughs> You know, it's like, whoa, all right now. Yeah, I was looking at your set, and I was like, hey, where's the video clips for these? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, your, your site, speaking of which, um, also says you're a Mark's real estate-approved Groucho impersonator. What's the process for that? Well, basically, I was um, I was Groucho Mark's. Uh, for a season and and the Grinch as well at Universal Studios Hollywood, and basically all of their at least with the Marxes I don't know if it comes down with the with the other impersonators, but the estate has to approve at a certain point. So you know, it, I I, uh, I was a 
I was Groucho for a season, you know, and there's there's something to be said for doing Groucho, and it was a lot more visual than just the audio. But uh, my favorite story re regarding Groucho was one day I'm in the park, and, and by the way, one of the coolest jobs that a human being can have, because basically, um, if you're playing Groucho, you're insulting everybody and flirting with women. So it's like how horrible. Well, and what are people going to do? They're going to go up to customer service and complain. Groucho Marx was flirting <laughs> with my wife, and you know, was it, was it true to character? <laughs> well, yes. All right then. You know, but I had this one day that um, this group of kids came up to me, and I don't know, maybe about twelve years old or so. And this Hispanic girl looks at me and she goes, "Oh man, your mustache ain't real." And I said. Well, that's all right. Yours is. <laughs> and just walked away. And it was like, oh, damn. Oh, he got you. Oh, and all that. And it's like, well, what's she going to do? She's going to go up to <laughs> up the customer service and uh, Charlie Chaplin was mean to me. It's like, no, Charlie had the Hitler mustache. I have the one all the way across my face. There's a difference. You know, so. And then, of course, I was I, for a season. I was I was the Grinch, so you know that again was playing just you know you get into like thirty pounds of of fur and 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 and, and padding and stuff, and I'd sweat through the costume every single time. Come back from my break, get into a new one, sweat through that one. I mean, it was a, it was it was fun, but a horrible and uncomfortable process. And the nice thing was. I was playing the Grinch, okay? So I'm uncomfortable and I'm hot, you know? Saying, <laughs> all right, let's take this picture and get out of here. No, Merry Christmas to you. That's great. Yeah, lovely holiday. You know, doing all of that. And uh, so, I mean, it worked. You know, so if you want me to do personal appearances, just get me to play somebody with a really bad attitude, I guess, you know? All right, well, we're going to let you go on this one. All right. Um, I was I was poking around on your site, doing a little research, doing okay. a little stalking, and okay. um, you, they've got this uh, gallery of Neil Kaplan through the years, yep. and and there's something I wanted to ask about. Okay, what's the deal with that picture with you and the Kermit the Frog and the Bob Ross uh, haircut? Like the, it's not uh, a Bob Ross haircut; it's a Jufro. Damn it! You got to <laughs> learn what you're talking about. Okay. Um, first of all, let me tell you, and also it's got the rounded lapels, I believe. On a, on a tuxedo with a with a uh, with a frilly shirt, um, my friend. There was a time called the seventies and the eighties. <laughs> Back then, I looked wicked cool. Um, the scariest thing about that, because I look like I'm probably about seventeen or eighteen. I'm really thirteen in that picture. So you're insulting a child, fucker. <laughs> Uh, well, I you whatever, you. whatever, whatever, man. Just you know, I look forward to seeing you just pick on kids at the convention. Oh, hey, kid, you look stupid. You know, no, that's fine, that's fine. Little child inside me is crying right now. Can we go visit you at your parents' no, it was, house? It was basically, years. it was basically, it what it was basically. Um, and this was this was a case of really you know i met mel blank and he said stop doing impressions so i like stopped but one thing that i've that i've found with myself is if i listen to kermit the frog all day long i'm not going to pick it up i did a show for muscular disc by the way that was a 
That was also an advertising picture for a muscular dystrophy association fundraiser. So go ahead, kick the cripples too while you're at it. Okay. Oh, he said, wow, you're horrible. John, you are a sick son of a bitch, and I will not be associated with you anymore. Terrible, terrible, terrible. But we did raise some good money that summer, and there was another performer there who was doing Kermit the Frog. Well, by the end of the summer, um, I basically picked up on all the little tricks and, you know, stuff that he was doing right there. Um, You know, and basically started doing my own version, which, of course, surpassed his. But, um, you know, that's no fault of mine. So I just kind of felt, you know, I should take a little picture, a little publicity picture as I'm doing my, my California state tour of the talent competitions and whatever, because boys don't get to be in pageants. <laughs> we do we do talent shows at the state fair. So that's basically what that was. But um, just so you know, it is called a Jufro. All right, you got it? Okay. This is Bob Murphy, whatever stuff, you know. Well, Bob Murphy, hey, come on. Whatever. He is. Whatever. Whatever. I have no idea. It's a Jufro. You watched him all the time, didn't you? Be I, honest. No, actually, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I really don't. Sorry. Uh, you got to remember, I'm like, I'm like decades older than you, so maybe this is one of those things that no, didn't, this even, goes didn't even, like even the exist. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, he's, not, he's not a public television kind of guy. He's, uh, clearly he's, not. He's, he's the main well, that, Hey, that's, that's not necessarily true, because, you know, I actually did the audio captioning for a few seasons of Barney on PBS. I'm sorry. No, let me tell you, that was actually a fascinating job because it was some of the most, it was some of the best writing I've ever worked with. Because essentially what they're doing is they're audio captioning for obviously blind people that can't see right. what's going on on Barney. So they would, within the blank spaces between lines, explain what was going on. And the stuff was so well written that unlike dubbing with, um, or with poorly written dubbing, I should say, mm-hmm. where you've got to half look at the script, which is down here, and half look at the screen up here to try to fit it in the flaps and do all that. This was brilliantly written, and they would say the cue they'd have on the script, so I never had to pick my head up and look at the screen. Um, they would have the audio cue for when I would come in, and it was so well written that I'd be out when I was supposed to be out. You know? One of the... Most tremendous experiences when I was working with them was doing the audio captioning for, what was it, Mark of Zorro, the first one with um, Anthony Hopkins and Antonio Banderas. So. But whichever the first one was, I did the audio captioning on that. Dude, let me tell you, that job kicked my ass. Because during the sword fights, they're describing every single move. And you obviously have to be speaking at that kind of rate, and, you know, Zorro, Perry's threats, you know, doing all that. But it was so well written where I never had to look up at the screen. And it was absolutely amazing and really kind of laid the foundation for when I do anime and the writing's good or the writing's bad. If the writing's good, the line makes sense and it fits the flaps. If the writing's bad, it's just a line shoved in there because they know when we go to record it that we'll fix it on the fly. Well, when I'm doing anime voiceover, I'm not getting paid to be a writer. I'm paid to be an actor. So... To be snotty, I'd really like to have that stuff figured out before I get in the booth. Right. You know? So that's actually why I loved, uh, in all seriousness, that, that, that job on Barney. And quite frankly, um, I've been volunteering at the Braille Institute um, since 2007, um, so just before my father passed away. And I do that every week. And I, we have a lot of fun. And I teach voiceover because you don't have to see to speak. You don't. Um, we have a good time, and it helps to keep me grounded. 
Um, and you also learn to appreciate how what I do, you know, for a living really helps keep them connected to everybody else. You know, um, I did a book on tape. I did an audio book for StarCraft. And I'm really so jazzed that Simon and Schuster donated um, a dozen copies for Braille's library and for the lighthouse in New York. And, you know, I now get to share some of what I'm doing with, with uh, some of my students. Um, and, you know, I did the audio captioning years before I worked at Braille, but it's just, it's just nice that what we do can, can work in other communities. I mean, I don't know if that sounds awkward for me to say. It feels kind of awkward, but um, hopefully you understand what I mean. Right. Yeah. Well, Neil, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. my pleasure. My pleasure. Great to meet you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Just much. for those of you who are listening, we shook hands. It sounded something like this. So he's having a seizure. Home ambulance. Well, because you can't really hear it if it's just a mellow shake, because then it's like, that's nothing. So then you go. Yeah, I'm it's not... like if I said yes... You know, if I said no to something, <clears throat> if I just did this, that's nothing. But if I go, you know, I'm shaking my head. I'm saying no. It's all about the sound effects. He's creating experience is what he's Neil trying Kaplan to do. Experience. The Neil Kaplan That's it. That's it exactly. That's, that's going to be the title of this podcast, Neil the Kaplan, Kaplan experience. experience. Oh, you're too Or the Neil Kaplan explosion. Yeah, I think I've got to take some time Neil off. Kaplan. That hurt. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you. See you.